Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios, Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Hi, welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, a show where two cops, retired cops, talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have an adventurous episode for you today. We have retired Phoenix Police Sergeant Phil Roberts, who had a stellar career, but he has a truly adventurous retirement where he has created this YouTube channel, and it's Blue Line RV Adventures. Can't wait to talk to him about all the different things he's seen from, oh my gosh, the Grand Canyon to Mackinac Island. And then... We're going to keep them around for the second segment where we're going to talk about what he saw in terms of maybe false media, fake news. Does the world hate cops? Maybe not. And then the last segment, we're going to have ugh, another dumb de Blasio report. Hey! Yeah. Ugh. And then we're going to go Yay. into heroic headlines and, of course, Jason's always inspirational closing message. So stay tuned, stay informed, and most of all, you're going to be entertained. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the, I moment. Remember the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Jason, my friend, do I seem a little pumped up this morning? You do. I, I am. You're a little more than normal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm always giddy, but I'm even now giddy with a pump-up attitude. Almost like I'm on steroids or something. Am I finally so, getting to you? Actually, I hate to say it, Jason. It's, it's not you. I always I'm come here fired up. I'm sorry. Up. It is our guest. We have retired Phoenix Police Sergeant Phil Roberts, who I've known probably 20 years now. Yes. Uh, in fact, you've always been a sergeant since I've known you. So you're probably a sergeant, what, 20 years? I, I was, yes. And I, he was one smart, of those. Smart, smart man. Oh, it, smart. Get, but get to it, that level and just. And just do your do your job. Because, you know what? Because I think I, when you go start going higher in rank, you become less and less a cop and more of an administrator. And that's exactly. not what he was. That's my point. He was a cop's cop as yeah. a sergeant. You would talk to him like a fellow cop because he got into he was a shit magnet. I'll just say it. He was shit magnet. He got in so much stuff. He was truly uh, one of those cops that just loved the job. And that's why he probably never even promoted a lieutenant, because then you are an administrator. Yeah. But he was truly yeah. uh, a great sergeant. And then he went into robbery. You worked robbery for a while. And, but you couldn't 
you missed the streets, went right back to the streets after you know a stellar career in robbery. All true. Hopefully, uh, the statute of limitations doesn't run out yet, as far as what my wife knows, because I may not have told her all of the stories and things <laughs> that, I did. I know a few. Hold on. I that know a is few. one statute of limitations that, uh, that does never there's expire. There's no limitation. It, it really sucks. <laughs> there is you know, no limitation. It really sucks. The, 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 the truth of it is, there are when you're a police officer, whether you're you know a woman or man, there are certain things that you tell your spouse and th- certain things you do not tell your spouse. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, what I would you? I, it's about seven, seventy. Don't tell. Percent thirty percent do tell. That that's right. kind of my. Right. Uh, but I did, I worked in homicide. You worked in yes. some. Yeah, there's certain things you don't go home with. <laughs> that's true. It's very much so. That's true. And what I want to talk about in the first thing is we're going to hold you into uh, your cop mode for the sex thing. We're going to stick you around. Mm-hmm. Your wife's going to hear all the news <clears> then. <throat> but for the first thing, I want to talk about how you really reinvented yourself into retirement you go from this cop and again a lot of cops identify in that profession they are a cop even when they retire they're still you know and we are it's in our heart it's in our blood but it didn't define you you end up doing something remarkable tell us about that well that's true that's you know like a lot of retirees when you retire some people want to stay in their their previous careers or professions and maybe do some teaching or something like that. And I didn't really want to do that. Not that I, I did not like my career in law enforcement. I loved it. It was absolutely, for me, it was the best career I ever could have uh, had, and I was very blessed in it. But I wanted to do something completely different. And as a lot of retirees do, they want to do some traveling. They want to travel around and see the country. And it just kind of stumbled into us. Uh, Karen and I happened to go to an RV show one time here in Phoenix. Um, not that we were really seriously looking at buying an RV, but we went to one and found out that really they weren't that expensive. And then we started looking into it, and I think Karen kind of got me more into the RV as, or the YouTube aspect of it. And we started following some YouTube channels and some people that were uh, you know, RVing. And I guess the short story was initially we thought, well, what if we get an RV and then we do it for six months and then we'll have like a home base here in Phoenix. And then I think it might have been my idea where I said, well, why don't we basically get rid of everything and we'll live in the RV full time travel around the country and then even start a YouTube channel like the other people are doing. And if I understand it right, you ended up selling your home. Is that correct? Yeah. So it takes a lot of planning in order to do this. Um, We wanted to identify the things that really mattered to us and the things that we could uh, translate that into traveling. Um, RV travel was something we wanted to do when we were young enough to um, enjoy it. You know, go hiking, go biking, um, see the the national parks and the country in small town increments. Like, I, I didn't want to go to the big towns. I've seen big towns. I've seen big cities. I wanted to go to the towns, the townships, the, the towns that were, what, uh, population 71. You know, <laughs> got to keep that one in. Um, but we wanted to do that kind of uh, immersion into America. Basically. Yeah, I, I hate to say the word "real people." <laughs> no, everybody's real. No, but, everyone's but, real but, people. Yeah, but seriously, the the true, genuine Mayberry RFD, rather yeah. than the tourist traps and hearing the tourism speech and so forth. You were talking to, I hate to say it, but real people. Well, you know, I I've lived in San Francisco. I've lived in Phoenix. I'm sorry. <laughs> Before it turned into what it is. Uh, but the, the mentality when you live in the city, you're busy all the time. You're, you're stimulated all the time by lights, things to do, people to see, traffic, all of the uh, crime. You know, there's a lot of things that you're always constantly bombarded with. When you move out into, uh, into small town America, I'll put it that way, small town America, you're 
world kind of just slows down. It, it, it becomes, you become very present and very intentional. With your neighbors. Uh, with your neighbors. Two of my favorite words. Very present and very intentional. Yep. That is. That, Genuine. It, it, there is so much more peace out yes. there in our, in our lives, our existence in this world, than what you would think mm-hmm. by watching what's going on in the news or reading headlines. So thank you for saying those words. That is something everybody should key in, in on is to be present and to be intentional. Yeah. Because today, even with kids they are always posting, it's always, you know, Facebooking and they're not in the moment. That's when you're right. on these trips, you're in that moment and you share that moment on YouTube. Tell us about how, how that works. Well, you know, as far as, as far as how YouTube works, I mean, it was really, I mean, you can get monetized on YouTube, and there is a financial aspect to it, but that really wasn't our, our goal. Really, the goal was just to keep me busy. Um, I mean, obviously, <laughs> other than driving the RV, it was to try to give me something to do. And I've never, I, I've always kind of enjoyed speaking. I mean, uh, you know, Darren and I, you and I have been on um, uh, Silent Witness before and things like that, and I've, you know, I've done some, some speaking to the public. But um, I've never, you know, I, I enjoyed that, but I thought, you know, what if I did it on a YouTube level, on a social media type level? So we, we started that off. Um, we're not monetized yet. But the most important thing really was just to kind of keep me a little bit busy, kind of active. And I found out that I really enjoy doing it. I really do. Now, some of my videos aren't, you know, Steven Spielberg quality. They might be a little bit more Ed Wood quality. But, uh, but you know, we're, 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 getting, we're getting better. We're getting better, hopefully, with each one. As long but, as you're better than Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> We're good. <laughs> yes, but uh, yeah, so we're 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 making strides, and we you know we're we're, g- we're gaining uh, viewers and more more viewers and more subscribers every day. That's and subscri- subscriptions and viewership is the is the key to getting monetized. Not quite there yet, but we're heading in that direction. But the most important thing is I actually enjoy doing it. I mean, if people you know kind of give a thumbs down and they don't like the videos, that's fine. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop. I actually enjoy doing it. Yeah, I like how you talk about you know again we're talking about reinventing yourself. You talk about YouTube and using this as more of a, a, an outreach rather than a monetization. It's more of an outreach to kind of show your friends because you had a huge network. And when you're talking about going from, and in the tease, I talked about how you started with uh, the Grand Canyon and the last one was Mackinac Island. And I will absolutely attest, the quality is huge. <laughs> there, there is, it's really cool watching you opening it up with Somewhere in Time, the latest. Well, thank you. Yeah, you know, you, you, you know, I run it past Karen. I, I do the videos and then I show Karen and we kind of uh, you know, go back and forth on how, you know, soften things up or maybe raise things up a little bit. But we try to get it where it kind of grabs people's attention. I know my first videos probably weren't really all that good. But again, you learn every single time. And um, we've done so many different adventures and so many neat things. I mean, we've been to, which are videos yet to come. We've been to Yellowstone, Badlands National Park. We even went to a national monument where a, a nuclear missile is, uh, the, the missile silos in uh, South Dakota. Yeah. So we did that. So a lot of different things are coming up. And we just try to show different adventurous things that people might want to see. See, I wasn't even aware of that. I'm glad you said that things that people haven't seen or known about. Uh, I took a 16-day, 16-state uh, cross-country tour with my daughter right when I retired. It was so, uh, The mom was smiling. Right. It was so wonderful. That's amazing. So when I saw your episode hunting scorpions with your grandson uh that was so cute and you even kind of said this is a one-off it's gonna be a very short video we're, we're hunting scorpions with my grandson yeah you know it's uh, i've got a video up it's called yeah and my, my grandson he knows that I'm a, I'm a vlogger and he's eight years old and 
He comes out. I know. I, I'm sorry. I said vlogger. I should say YouTube cr- uh, creator, wow. a content creator wow. is, I think, the new official title rather than just vlogger. <laughs> but uh, so I'm a content creator. <laughs> but um, yeah, my grandson knows that I shoot some of the videos, and he plays around with it. And he wanted to spend the night one night, and he said, "Hey, can we go hunt for scorpions?" And of course, the light bulb went off in my head. I'm sitting here in, in the Phoenix metro area, not traveling anywhere. So I said, "I'll make a video out of this." But it turned out to be really a lot of fun, and he had a great time. I thought the video turned out really well. Of the places you've seen, um, which one really surprised you the most? I mean, when people go to Grand Canyon, you kind of know it's going to be grand and it's a canyon. Mm. Um, so maybe it doesn't surprise you, but was there one place, National Park, or maybe just Mayberry RFD, that really surprised you? I'm going to pass this off to Karen because I think that she and I are in a complete agreement on this. Yeah, I, you know, uh, it was a bucket list for me to um, go to Grand, uh, Glacier National Park. Um, it is a it's a Overwhelming. beautiful, beautiful, beautiful park, but it's also set in one of the most pristine um, areas that I'd ever been to, which is the Flathead Valley. Um, that includes Flathead, Flathead Lake, right? So I, it, it, it's just, it was beautiful. I, we had just gotten there when Glacier opened. I think we were there th- the third day that it was opened. Um, the, the driving to the Sun Road was not, all the way open, which is a, it's a, it, I think it gains a, a 3,500 feet in elevation in this road, but we were able to bike through about 12 miles of it. And it was simply stunning. You, you just saw a, a country and, and forest and mountains that you, you could only see on, on postcards. It was stunning. Yeah, I've no. got to, I've got to agree with Karen. I said, if you've never been to Montana, of all the places we've been to, if you've never been to Montana, you're really missing out. God's country. Yeah, sure. there's just really one place that you should go to. It's Montana. Now, we've talked about your career to a certain degree where, you know, you're going. You talked about the San Francisco where it's hectic. And every now you're in an RV. Had you, either of you ever done anything like this before? And if not... Tell us how that went. That had to be, well, because they're not the I easiest see, thing to drive. I wish we were on camera because the look Phil just gave his wife. That's really a great, great part of Blue Line RV Adventures um, is that one of our mottos as we try to get out, other than we've got your six, is that um, if I can do this, you can do this because I've never owned an RV in my life. Karen had a very small pop-up trailer many, 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 many years ago that – she had, but um, nothing up to substantial what we've got now. I've never driven anything bigger than an 18-foot U-Haul long U-Haul truck. Now I have a 43-foot tag axle Monaco motor coach, and when I put our Jeep in the back, our Jeep Wrangler, it's 63, I like to refer to it as 63 feet of iron that I'm driving down the road, and I was as white-knuckled as anybody, and I didn't know anything about RVs. I didn't know what a black tank was or a gray tank was. or I'm not even a uh, handy guy. I don't know anything about AC currents and DC currents and, and power and all this stuff. And I had to learn it all, and that's part of the process that we, 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 we did it together. I mean, Karen had a lot of, of things she had to do on her end as well, but it was a, it was a learning process for both of us. Yeah, we definitely – again, that's part of the being prepared. We um, worked with – a an RV driving school oh. to learn how to drive the vehicle um, motor coach. I drove it in town. Uh, Phil learned how to drive. We drove. We learned how to back up. We learned how to parallel park. We learned how to you know the swing and the pivot points and and it low, was low bridges. Well, yeah, <laughs> yes. low bridges. Know <clears throat> know your height. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, so it was a, it was part of, of that being the first the step towards doing it and doing it well and informed. So. Now, bef- before you came on today, we had teased a little bit about your adventures before you took off on this uh, grand adventure. And I said, bring me back some funny stories, uh, things were, that might have gone wrong, uh, situations. And I'm looking at your, both your faces and you're laughing. So you obviously listen so to many. me. <laughs> Is there one particular thing that jumps out that kind of, if you will, defines the, the overall trip as far as both funny and I'm not sure if it defines it, but it's the first thing that pops out in my head was we had been planning this for over a year. I mean, we got, we sold our house. We took our, the glasses, right. We took our belongings that we wanted to keep and we, we put them in storage. Other ones we gave to relatives or donated. We took RV driving school classes. I mean, we changed our domicile, which is a whole nother story to South Dakota. Technically I'm a South Dakotian resident, um, for, for tax purposes and how do you do that and everything. So we had, this took place for over a year. So here we are. It's our big day. It's June 1st. We're, COVID restrictions are easing up, and we're going to hit the road. We're high-fiving each other, and we're heading out. And we go up, and I think we got to, like, I think it was Cordes Junction, not too far outside of Phoenix, a little low on gas. We pull into our uh, uh, an RV truck stop to get fuel. I know and the as, spot. And as I'm outside getting fuel, Karen opens the door, faces as white as a piece of paper, comes out and goes, we just got hit by a semi-truck. And I came around the corner, and here was an 18-wheel semi-truck that had clipped uh, our, our mirror. And it's not just a mirror. It's got all sorts of you know, mechanisms. The mirrors rotate and everything. And you, can't, you cannot drive. Plus, our camera's on there, too, our side camera. And I was so angry. I thought, we've been planning this out for a year. I'm 45 minutes outside of Phoenix, and we got, we got stuck. But fortunately, maybe this does define, maybe this does define the, the, our trip, because fortunately... We were able to back the truck up. The guy was very apologetic. He gave us insurance information. And there was, turned out to be just a minor scratch on the chrome, and we had to tighten the mirror back up, and everything worked perfect. But for a moment, we were like, oh, my gosh, you know, look what happened. But I think it's almost kind of like to steal a cliche from the Marines, which actually I think came from the Navy. Or maybe it, Army. <laughs> or Army. <laughs> but but you know, we're going to improvise and over, overcome. Adapt. And, ad- adapt. And, we're, and, and, that, and that's what happened. We were... We, were, we adapted through, we were able to overcome it, and everything worked out fine. Speaking of adapting, how has this changed you? As far as ter- learning something about yourself, you know, this, this grand adventure, and not just maybe people, but places, but maybe about yourself in terms of this, this it, it worked, you did it. Yeah, I, I'm going to take this one, because we were just actually talking about this as soon as we had gotten back into, um, into, the, into Arizona, you know, what, what did we both learn? What did we learn from this three or four months being on the road? Um, I, I learned I could relax, Aww. you know, and that's for a mom, a grandmother, uh, a corporate, you know, a former corporate employee. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, I, I, you're always constantly, when you're a mom, you're always constantly doing things for the future, you know, tomorrow, next week, next month in order to make things run in your household. You're always um, running. You're always, your mind always has to be in the, in, the, in the future, and you can never rarely be in the present. And for me, I was able to do that. I was able to just slow things down and, cre- and be in the day. Um, I thought that was something that Phil would have to sort of unravel. 34 years of being a cop's cop is, 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 is huge. I, I didn't come into Phil's life until the last uh, six years of his career. And, um, you know, I saw what, 
what I saw was just the tip of the iceberg of what I knew that he went through. So um, I was more concerned about his unraveling of that um, busyness that comes with being a cop because it's enveloping. Um, but it, I found it to be more about me. Very cool. Yeah, you know, I, I learned, you know, as far as learning uh, stuff about myself, I mean, um, I learned that I had to be this handyman. I had to be this, I, like I said, I didn't know anything. I couldn't tell you about electrical circuits and AC and DC, and that was all foreign to me. I, I, I didn't really know that. Every time something broke, I called a mechanic. And I realized, and I, I, I knew coming into it as watching other YouTube content creators that you that you had to you had to be up on this stuff so i did the research probably not as much as i should have but i did do research got more adept at it and now when things break in the rv um i'm kind of proud of myself because i'll say hey let me make an attempt first to try to fix it let me and again i go to youtube videos and and i call the 1-800 numbers to the companies and i've got an issue here and more than not i'm actually able to fix it and every time i do even if it's a small fix i'll always look at karen i go hey i'm I'm kind of proud of myself. I was able to fix this where is a couple of years ago, it's, hey, I'm calling a repair guy. I'm not going to mess with it. So you learn how to do things on your own. In the two minutes that we have left for this segment, uh, tell us about the channel, the Blue Line RV Adventure, <clears throat> where they can see it, and if you will, some of the high points of the shows. Sure, you bet. So it's, uh, it is, you go to, well, we're on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook. And uh, if you go to, to any of those, it's going to be two words. It's going to be blue line. It's not one word blue line. It's two separate words, blue line, and then RV adventures. Um, and then the videos are, we kind of link them to the other, other channels, but they're primarily on the YouTube channel. If you like the videos, like I said, we're always trying to get more subscribers. So if you like them, you know, give a subscri- uh, subscription for us. Just hit the button. It doesn't cost anybody anything like that. But one of the most important thing th- things I think we want to show on the channel is that what's it like to travel around the country from a police officer's point of view? Is it safe here? Is it not safe? Would I take my family here? Would I not? And we, and we try to give some information about discounts, law enforcement discounts, and things like that. And being a Navy veteran, I also talk about veterans for, for, uh, for vets and so forth. And then really quick before we, we, we finish up, um, we actually have a gift for you. Oh, my gosh. We've got a gift for um, Jason and for you. We've got, really? because we're at Mackinac Island, we've got Joanne's famous Mackinac Island fudge. This is really good. We brought this all the way back from um, Mackinac Island, Michigan. Had it in the freezer, just took it out to thought it yesterday. Yes, in case anyone has a question, you can't actually freeze fudge. You just can't refrigerate it, which I'm not quite sure why, but you can freeze fudge. So we got it all fresh and everything for you guys. So enjoy. But uh, yeah. Perfect Thank segue. So Perfect much. segue because I have a book for you too for uh, those down points when you're traveling. You, uh, this is, you can't even buy this yet. This is the new book uh, that will be coming. I know. I know. I've given it to no one else. You've got the very first edition. Oh, oh, the very, very first. first. I know. First. I, yeah. well, 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 Dave Pratt. Dave Pratt. We're doing, we're doing the knuckle tapping. No one knows how to shake hands anymore. No, I know. We're always going elbow, hand. I know. Hey, you also had a great yeah, segue. Hey, did you yes, just please. shake his hand? I did. You I shook did. my hand in three I know. months. I know. <laughs> this, I, 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 I also got the first book, too, Jason, just to let you know. What does that tell you? I mean, Robin, I mean, hey, help hey, me out here. I, mean, I have not got a handshake or a book. I mean, hey, Jason. Oh, it's probably been a year. At least you give me a hug. Darren has some explaining to do when we get done with this today. Jason, be careful. When you drive to work and you find that your name on your curb has been stenciled out to Phil Roberts, you may have an issue. <laughs> you also mentioned how you did this show 
to kind of show people uh, cops out there watching and, and normal people yes. what it was like. And I want to talk to you. You're going to stick around for the next segment. Yes, we'll talk about some of our what it's like literally being a, an officer around the country and talking to people about that. I can't wait. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. I'll never forget, never forget that moment. As long as, as long as I live. My first call ever as a member of the National Guard. When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes. Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community. See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Welcome back to Batch Boys, everybody. We are very happy to continue to have Phil Roberts on for the Cop Talk segment. And normally, Darren, our Cop Talk is uh, something that's happened since our show last week. We just got some breaking news on a very hot topic, which is the Breonna Taylor case. And unless you are very intelligent and do not watch the news or you live under a rock and don't know who she is, Breonna Taylor was shot and killed by police in Louisville, Kentucky in March of 2020. Within the past hour, the attorney general in Kentucky has announced there were three officers involved in the shooting uh, at the apartment that night. One of the three officers was indicted on first degree wanton endangerment. We do not have first degree wanton endangerment in here Arizona. We in have Phoenix, Arizona in our title 13. So I'll be honest. I don't know what that is, but as we record this show here at 11 a.m. Pacific time, by the time the show airs in six or seven hours, Louisville is going to be on fire. There are going to be people getting hurt. There are going to be businesses being looted and burned down. And this is a truly hot topic. And what I want to address, and I might be wrong in some areas. And, and, and I hope you are. And I know you hope you're wrong. I, but sadly, well, you're probably going to be wrong. Yeah, and, and I'll admit, maybe I should be a little more prepared. But here's what I know. First of all, it is a... It truly is a tragedy that Brianna Taylor was shot and killed. Absolutely. And I feel horrible for her. I feel horrible for her family. I feel horrible for the officers that killed her because they did not intend to do that. From what I understand, this was written up. So you have three officers involved, right? That went to the apartment that night to do a no-knock warrant. Whether they knocked, whether they announced, I am not sure. My understanding, it was a no-knock warrant. I can tell you, if somebody kicks in my front door, what do you think I'm going to do? Protect yourself. I'm going to start firing. 
And if, oh, I didn't realize it's the police, they're going to return fire, and I'm going to end up shot and killed also, and whoever else in the crossfire. That seems to be what happened. However, if you have three officers doing a no-knock warrant or a kick-in-the-door warrant on this drug case, and as soon as they enter, somebody starts shooting, you are trained to return fire. And in that crossfire, Brianna Taylor gets murdered. So my issue here is the three officers on scene that night, it's not that I don't have a problem with what they did. My problem goes back to the officer who wrote that warrant. Because the officer who wrote that warrant, the simple mistake of writing down the wrong address turned out to be fatal. And there is no law covering that. There is no protection. There is no immunity. And that officer, which I believe is the one that got fired from I'll, Louisville. I'll weigh in when you're I, done. I, I, I believe. I could be wrong. <laughs> okay. But this is not a simple, you know, when you watch the news, and, and again, the city's going to be on fire tonight. And it's going to be tragic. The police were very wrong in this case, obviously, because Breonna Taylor did not deserve to die to, that night. But the officers on scene were right to return fire when fired upon. So how do you get through this in the criminal, not the social justice and the Black Lives Matter terrorist organization movement sense of the word on its own merits and the evidence in the investigation. How do you get through this? And Darren, with your 30 years, Phil, uh, with your amazing career, I would love to get your thoughts on this. Here's the interesting point. Luckily, I have a little bit of advantage over you, my friend. I have some friends that are Louisville uh, cops. And so I had information as this was going on. And we had an episode just last week called fake news and unfortunately there's been so much information about this case that was just downright wrong first they had the right address that was an issue that was something they've talked about what happened is there was actual five search warrants served that night it was a it was a task force and you always hit them at the same exact time so that's especially now with phones and internet that they can't alert one of their cohorts the unfortunate part is there was four main targets in a bad part of town and then there was brianna taylor's home which was in a nicer part of town far away from the other four and the the group that went to that house weren't a typical team they were hodgepodge they're put together for this and to your point about the no-knock warrant, the screw-up with the warrant, it was a no-knock warrant. However, they chose correctly to knock. Whether they announced that is up to debate. They say they announced. The witnesses say they didn't. Did they announce? Because, man, if you're going to knock, you're going to announce. And you need, to your point, Jason, you've got to be able to say police we're coming in, open door or force entry, whatever the case, you got to know you're a cop. Because otherwise, especially in Arizona, everyone has a gun. 
I would be the first one to shoot somebody breaking into my home. But, and here's the big but, I love talking about big buts. <laughs> the big but here is, did you see what you're shooting at? And that's why I agree with the indictment. Because one of the individuals, the one I'm going to guess that was charged with what was called wanton endangerment. And we do have endangerment here in Arizona. Basically, you put somebody's life in jeopardy, whether it be um, harm, which would be a misdemeanor, or potential lethal death, then it's a felony. And so I got a feeling it's going to be that. There was one officer that was on the outside of the house shooting blindly into the home, if you will, suppress a fire. And, and again, we have to remember, a cop was shot at that location. So is it okay to do suppress a fire to be able to retrieve him? I would have done. I would have done suppress a fire, but I would have done it in a jam. I would not shoot blindly into a home. That's my point with this whole thing is that was there mistakes made? Yeah, it was more of the administrative angle where you had four bad locations. You had one that I don't know if they had enough intelligence on Brianna Taylor in relationship to the main target, which was her ex-boyfriend. That was the issue at hand. And I think it, it's a good indictment. So to your point about the city will burn, I hope to hell not. Obviously, we all do. But to Phil's point, and I'm going to hand this over to Phil after this, is they're going to riot because that's what they do. They're already rioting because that's what they do. This is not protest. This is rioting thuggery. And if these jerks and a, a misconstrued three beautiful words, and I'll only call it BOM because I won't give it to words because those words were hijacked because all lives matter, black lives matter, absolutely. But the organization is taking any opportunity to convey their hatred towards police, and that's what this is all about. No, I completely, I completely agree. I mean, they're, they're going to burn, and they're going to destroy property, and they already are doing it right now, literally as we're speaking. And it really didn't matter what the indictment was. If Thank they had to come back on first-degree murder on all of them, they would still be doing the same exact thing. Um, I agree with with actually both of you, um, and as I understand, I don't. I I had not heard that they got the wrong address. I thought they'd gotten the right address. They did. But I would actually add one more person in here that I would blame, and I and to give you my background, not only thirty three years as a Phoenix police officer, and retiring as a sergeant, but um, I also uh, spent five years in undercover narcotics, and I. Um, wrote multiple warrants, served multiple narcotic warrants all around the valley. And one other person I would blame is the judge because I am familiar with no-knock search warrants. I never wrote one myself, but I know that you've got to really explain to a judge why you want a no-knock search warrant. And in my time in the Phoenix Police Department working undercover narcotics, I only recall maybe two or three in five years. And that had to do with things like they were, exec they were executing search warrants for like the Hells Angels. They knew there was a lot of firepower and guns and so forth inside the home. And it was very, very rare occasions like this for the type of warrant that they were executing on a regular um, regular uh, narcotics activity. It didn't, it didn't, it, it, we never, we never did no knock search warrants. Why they had to have that was a big question mark for me and why the judge would sign it because you have to have, you have to show the judge why you need to do that and really extraordinary circumstances. And it doesn't sound like they had it. No, I told it was funny because we're all kind of agreeing on a lot of the issues here, not completely, but agreeing um, to your point about the no knock uh, having done when I was on the bike squad, we'd assist. I would have been that, that, hodgepodge group put together with a bike squad to help out 
with a major target it's with a secondary target that would have been me so right. i absolutely feel for those officers that were thrown together that never worked together were thrown together and to your point about the judge 100 percent agree that judge should have never signed that but to the sergeant's benefit they chose to knock and they chose to announce did they announce that is really at the issue because they absolutely everyone agrees even the uh, surviving person in that home which is unfortunately we nobody knows other than the officers and that person at home did they announce and i will one of the thing i will add in that a lot of people say well do they have body cameras and it sounds like they probably did not but that doesn't mean that they don't have another recording device. When I did all of my search warrants back in the early 90s, and this is well before people, Mandatory. Even, right, before even people even thought of body cameras, all of us had cassette recorders in our pockets, especially the sergeant who was executing the warrant. And the last thing they did seconds before they hit that door was they cleared on the radio. They asked for a time check from the police dispatcher. The dispatcher gave it military time, you know, 1935 hours, 735 p.m., and they would say, okay, and then they would even give the address. This is Sergeant so-and-so of the Phoenix Police Department's Drug Enforcement Bureau executing a search warrant and reading the location, and that tape would go so it would capture on tape what happened in case we had something like a Brianna Taylor-type uh, situation here in Phoenix where you could hear the officers on tape you know, pounding on the, on, on the door, Phoenix Police, uh, Phoenix Police Department search warrant opened the door, and then waiting approximately five seconds, ten seconds, before they started uh, you know, bashing the door in if they didn't open it. And uh, so just because that's not out there, that's not to say that somebody didn't have a tape recording device out there. And if they did, and that comes public, that's going to be a huge portion of what occurred out there in trial. And we're talking Louisville, which is a major police department, clearly. Uh, they're part of POSE. They're, they would have those um, standards. Sure. And you would think, because I agree 100% with you, every search warrant ever conducted the very last thing you did as you're leaving is you end that recording. You don't yes. end it early. You always end it as you're leaving and you update and the time check with radio. All those things are 100% accurate. I can't help but think that did occur. And there's so much bad information. Like there was that, to Jason's point, where they had the bad address. That was actually, unfortunately, put out in the media. And it, that's furthest from the truth. They absolutely were there to hit. It's not true. No, no, they hit the right address. Brianna Taylor's address was on the right warrant, and it was a no-knock warrant, but they chose to disregard that because that was part of, unfortunately, a boiler point effect with the other four warrants, which were no-knocks, and they did conduct no-knocks on those other warrants. Sites. And the, one other thing I wanted to add was they did, you are correct, they executed multiple search warrants, and one of the f- truth facts that a lot of people don't, are un, aren't aware of, and it makes a little bit bad on the Louisville, or I'm sorry, the Louisville Police Department, is that their primary target was already in custody when they hit Brianna Taylor's apartment, but you have to understand something. In the world of undercover narcotics, you hit all the locations. If there was five locations and they said, well, let's just hit four in the bad neighborhood and we'll, we'll skip Brianna's, and then they got no drugs, no paraphernalia, no weapons or money or anything associated with narcotic sales, they all would have looked at each other and said, oh, we should, have, there. we should have gone to the other location. Because you don't know where the drugs are, you don't know where the guns are, you don't know where the money is, because they move around. It's like a shell game. And so they had to do that. I totally understand, despite the fact that their primary target was in custody, I totally understand, correctly so, that they should have executed that last warrant. And so when I look at the story and I talk with my friends in Louisville, the issue at hand for me 
wasn't the 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 warrant is of issue but then they they corrected that the police officers a good decision was made to knock and announce and that was the right decision if they announced and that's that right now at debate but the issue i had is the suppressive fire the one officer who is outside the apartment who fired into the window <clears throat> blindly not knowing what his target acquisition was you have to identify your target you have to so to to the point where if somebody's shooting at me you can absolutely you will shoot back but you got to know what you're shooting at you have to you have to know the backdrop you have to know lines of, of of crossfire all those things are factors that clearly were not at play here so for that purpose i think this is the right indictment i think they got got it right i do i think i i think just to add into that the and there's probably been other circumstances throughout my career that i'm just unaware of or it's not coming to my mind right now but one of the the key times where i remember with phoenix pd is where we did suppressive fire was under the tragic Wolf and White officer, Jason Wolf and White. 100%. Right. That was tragic because here were two Phoenix police officers that were killed outside the, the apartment door of an apartment, and, the, and they were both critically, mortally, well, at the time, critically, critically and they both uh, succumbed to their injuries. But these two Phoenix police officers were gravely shot, and we could not rescue them because we had an active shooter still firing rounds out the window. And, you know, I'll mention his name. Uh, uh, he's now a, a commander, Commander Dave Harvey, uh, was on scene. He was a lieutenant at the time. And he, uh, he'll tell you, I fired uh, suppression rounds blindly into that apartment because we had two officers down, both critically injured, and we could not, they were bleeding out. We could not rescue them. Yeah. And we, I had to fire rounds just in there to, to you know, get that, that, that fire to stop. But that's one of the few times it's happened. I inherited that squad, 73 Frank squad. Yeah. And so a lot of the uh, officers were cohorts, you know, friends of both those I gentlemen. was a Jason Wolf's autopsy. There you go. I had to do. So we all uh, have a connection. I, I had to go, I had to, I, it was one of the worst days of my career. And the training that we <laughs> right. received post based on that was there are times where you need suppressive fire if nothing else to extract and what we were taught was you still have to have target acquisition you're yes. firing something and what we were told is you would shoot at the um, frame of a doorway some place where you knew there was good wood and not drywall but to our point you're not sitting outside shooting blindly into a window of an apartment where the shooting you don't know what you're shooting at. You have no idea what you're shooting at. And for that reason, that is clear endangerment to me. I think they got it right. I, I, I do. And I, first of all, I want to apologize now that I know uh, the officer that wrote the warrant did not get the address wrong. And, and I wish I could say I was shocked that that was a lie in the media. <laughs> so uh, to whoever you are, I apologize that uh, you, for all these months, I've been hammering. I've been, even been telling my kids, that's the officer that got it wrong. That's the officer that needs to be fired. There is no law to cover a Oops. number <laughs> error, unfortunately. But now to find out today that uh, he actually did get it right and the media lied about it, uh, again, shocking set of circumstances. But um, seriously, as we talk, like, it, it, there are people walking around Louisville right now. There are people at work in Louisville right now that do not know that in about eight hours their lives are going to be either taken away their business are going to be taken away or burned down. And what our beautiful producer, uh, Rock and Robin, just told us, they're riding right now. 
Yeah. So oh, they've already started. They've already started. All right, that didn't take very <clears throat> no, long. No, it did that, not. That, that didn't take very long. And again, so. and, and we all mentioned this, and I want to kind of recap and, and hear what you have to say, Jason and Phil. We all said, in my opinion, they got it right. That's just my opinion, but. I knew for a fact they're going to riot because it's not about justice. It's not about protesting. It's about a agenda to destroy, demolish, whatever you want to call it, to fund, which means so many other things, police. And that's what's going on around the country. They're using any excuse. And this is an excuse. It, like to Phil's point, and I'll let him fill it in the gaps. They could have made an indictment on every single person there to include the commander of the precinct, and they would still riot. And they would still riot. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter. They've got this agenda, like you said, to defund and abolish. And I love the in Minnesota this week, I forgot the president of the city council's name. She's uh, to listen to this woman is one of the most ridiculous things in the world, but she didn't want to defund the police. She wanted to abolish and create that is true. their own civil <clears throat> service thing. Well, just last week, murder is on the rise. Crime is on the rise. And she's the first one screaming at the police chief, where are you? Why aren't you doing your job? <laughs> and the hypocrisy is, is shocking. And again, Breonna Taylor, her life matters. 100%. Very much. And I, it is a tragedy that she's dead. But everything that you're seeing on every one of these cases boils down to one thing. And it is that the politicians in charge, and as I've said before, from the Phoenix mayor, what the hell's her name? Kate Gallego. Yeah. Fuck her <laughs> from our governor to every city councilman all the way to the president. People like us, civilians, the police, all the way down to our kids in high school and the people who are teaching them these new radical ways of thinking, we are all being used as pawns yes. because of a single date in November and a single election. So for all the people out there who say that lives matter and businesses matter and you deserve to live, you're, you're all full of shit and you're lying because that's not what it's about. These politicians are out to hurt all of us so that they can win their next election, or get their agenda served. And it is, that's the tragedy. And the Breonna Taylor thing is a tragedy. It's a terrible tragedy for but they're exploiting it. a lot of different families. But what our producer is showing me on video right now. Oh, I got to mention something since you brought that up. It is going to get, this is just. Let me explain we've this. We've been talking for 15 minutes. Yeah. Imagine 15 hours from now. They when it's are, 1 a.m. So far, what they're showing on the news feed from Fox 10 is they're walking in the streets. But let me tell you something. A lot of those people have backpacks on, which I understand they're probably carrying water and snacks. <laughs> but, yeah, that's what they're snacks. but I have to tell you this because I just saw it on the live feed. There is a woman carrying a pink baseball bat. Why the hell are you bringing a baseball bat to a protest. Because it's not a protest. Well, because I will it's tell you not. what, right now, and I, I, I don't care what any of you think of me, I don't care what anybody says, a baseball bat is a deadly weapon. Damn oh, right. of course it is. And I don't care about your gender or your age. If she raises that baseball bat toward anybody, they have a right to shoot her and kill her. And that is the law. 
in closing, I think we'll all agree it was. You some don't want to argue with me on that one. No, no, no. There's no argument. It's a it's a deadly weapon. Yeah, no, absolutely, it is. It is. It's a deadly weapon. At least it's pink. You know, and again, that. you know, we could go into TV and movies. You see all sorts of things, and it's she's not Harley Quinn. Let's put it that way. She's not Harley Quinn. If that's she, part, that's part of the costume for Harley Quinn. If she was, I'd be on a plane to Louisville right now, <laughs> right? Joining her, joining her in the protest. It, Robin. It's, it's, what, not, a, it's not a movie. What are you she, talking about? Here? She's the only one I see carrying a weapon. And that's a. I mean, thank I, you for saying that. It's a I had weapon. To, I had to look at it three times to make it sure before weapon. I got on this microphone. She is carrying a freaking why do you baseball bring bat. A, why do you bring a baseball bat to, to a, a friendly protest? To a peaceable <laughs> yes. assembly covered under the Constitution. Why would you do that? Yeah. For one reason, you're there to riot. Exactly. And Bust up property. And that's the perfect exactly. closing. Uh, Phil, thank you so much for being part of our Cop Talk segment. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, it's great to have you. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Uh, just outstanding. And the best of luck with Blue Line, all one word, RV adventure. No, it's actually two one, words. Oh. Yeah, Blue Line, two words. <laughs> you I have to make sure word. you get it right so I get the subscribers on YouTube. It's two words, Blue Line. <laughs> Then RV Adventures. So two separate words, Blue Line. Thank you, my friend. Uh, because I went to YouTube, I did one, and it still got there. So yeah. that's oh, good well, to know, by works, the way. Sure. Uh, and again, thank you, your beautiful wife, Karen, for being on the show as well. And thank you so much. We'll be right back with Heroic Headlines, a Dom DeBloss report, and Jason's inspirational close. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember, the, I remember moment. the moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them. We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris. We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference. Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard. Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com. Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. Move over, AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over, AZ. Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. What a great guest. Uh, I, again, Phil, I love can't Phil. thank him enough for sharing. Yeah. He also has another story about Minneapolis having tra- traveled that area. We'll bring him back when we talk about Minneapolis. So we're definitely going to have him back. No <laughs> doubt about it. Uh, in my eyes, he was a true hero, a true mm-hmm. cop. And speaking of heroes, you have a pretty good heroic headline. Do you not, my friend? Yeah, you know, this one hits close to home. This is something that I travel the country and I speak a lot about and the headline is Colorado police officer killed in a crash while off duty his last heroic act was being an organ donor and this happened in beautiful Aurora Colorado the Aurora Police Department honored the life of officer Michaela Lakin on Monday announcing her passing on social media and adding that even in death she chose to donate life, which to all of you out there, you hear it all the time. Officers, it's amazing. Uh, I would say 99% of officers out there are organ donors. I and I would not be sitting here today talking to you yes. without the tissue donors that saved me. And yeah. I didn't have one or two, Darren. I had 
dozens and dozens. And it's just a beautiful thing. Officer Lakin was hit and killed in a crash on Friday while she was off duty. She was traveling on a motorcycle when the driver of a Honda Pilot turned and crashed into her, according to the police. Early into the investigation, police believed that Officer Lakin had the right-of-way. It was not her fault. Police added that the driver of the Honda was cooperative, thankfully, not on drugs, no alcohol, are suspected. Unfortunately, just made a very bad, bad decision while driving. Police Chief Vanessa Wilson made a point to include Officer Lakin was an organ donor. Sadly, on Friday night, Officer Michaela Lakin, badge number 19-77, was struck and killed and passed away again while off duty. However, she was an organ donor and was able to save countless lives as well as make countless lives better through that organ donation. So all of you police officers out there, please, Jesus, please make sure you don't want your family to be in the emergency room dealing with those emotions and have somebody from the organ and tissue network. These are people I work closely with and they have very tough jobs. They go into emergency rooms and they talk to families while their loved ones are on life support. You do not want to be in the position to have to make that decision. So for all of you out there right now who are healthy and alive, you don't know when or where it's coming. Just check the box on your driver's license and become a donor because leaving that behind is priceless. And I am every day so thankful for it. I had a son born Darren, after my accent, I owe that to my tissue donor. I love that. I owe that. So God bless Officer Lakin. It is a tragedy. People get killed in motorcycle accidents every day. She was off duty. It's a horrible tragedy. But what she left behind has made the quality of life a lot better for a lot of people. And I just, that, there is no bigger heroism than to donate things that you no longer need and to save somebody else and complete strangers and her family. I promise you in the years to come, will find great comfort and peace as they meet these people who got her corneas or got her liver or got her kidney or got her heart lungs. You never know. And it's just uh, that uh, there is no bigger heroic story than organ and tissue donation please be a donor. I love that. It's the gift of life. Uh, and for you to talk about it so passionately, it's so appropriate. Oh, it's so appropriate. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and I'm right there with you being a living donor. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. Yes. You are a living donor, yes. Robin. Yeah. And it, so you understand what it, what it means. If you can give something to help someone else do it. Yeah. Yes. And I like how Jason was talking to cops because cops love to help. Mm-hmm. And you're dying, you're dying. Dying act is helping someone else. I Absolutely. love that. Yeah, I, I would venture a guess. Ninety-nine percent of cops are organ donors because it's who we they, are. Uh, no, they truly I, I, are. Thank you. That's all you ever hear. Every time you hear, even when, like an officer shot in the head, the first, almost the first thing you will hear is that officer was able to donate Thank their you. heart, their lungs, uh, their skin, their 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 bones. They, it, it's and I've been to the autopsies 
of several officers who died in the line of duty. And every time I went in there, I was shocked at what I saw. And I'd have to ask the medical examiner why, you know, what's going on. And they would say, well, they chose to be a donor. And it just, right away, it, it, it just warms your Even heart. Even in death. Even they in are death. All about people. When you're, sa- you're still saving a life. Exactly. What's, what's bigger and better than that? You're Thank saving you. a life. Your check last, the box. Your last oh, act is saving check. life. Thank check you. the box. Check the box. <laughs> that's all. Just check that, the box. That's it. Thank uh, you, speaking of checking boxes, uh, I'm going to check off this box another dumb de Blasio report. I'm afraid, yes, from infamously killing a groundhog during Groundhog Day photo op to his ludicrous COVID-19 sex safety tips detailing anal sexual instructions on the city website. We now have this from Dumb de Blasio. Mayor de Blasio responds with only a vague tweet about, quote, needing to borrow money and federal stimulus package in response to an open letter from over 160 major corporations, including Macy's, MasterCard, and Goldman and Sachs in New York City, about the staggering spike in deadly violence and numerous other quality of life concerns. Yep, you heard right. Mayor de Blasio only sent a, quote, we need to borrow money, end quote, tweet in response to the corporate leaders in the entire city about the city's 160% increase in shootings, rampant murders, rapes, and other skyrocketing crimes, pleading with the mayor to do something. But instead of telling these corporations and the citizens that he will not defund the police and allow them to be crime fighters, he is literally siding with a lawless mob over crime fighters, abandoning businesses, and more importantly, the citizens in the wake of such unpre- unprecedented violence. A mere tweet is his answer. Borrowing funds, borrowing money, taking money from citizens in other states to solve his errors. Having allowed death to rain down in the city of New York, I tell you, it's crazy. To recap Mayor de Blasio has, and this is in a, just in the last uh, six months, I think, he has denigrated police by standing with a violent mob. We know that. He's disbanded over 600 cops from anti-crime units. He's defunded the police department over $1 billion. He defends no bail with this revolving jail door for criminals where they go in and they come right back out. He's deplorably empowered lawlessness over law and order with all these stupidities. And he demands millions of tax dollars to pay for vigilante programs instead of helping police. He's denounced New York businesses for Marxism, literally calling out Marxism as a good thing. He's destroyed the city's budget, completely annihilated, and while paying his wife millions for her little events. And now he declares in a tweet... Borrowing money is his only, his only answer to the increase in shootings, rampant gang violence, and unsolved murders and brutal rapes. Thanks a lot, Mr. Mayor, for your continued hatred of police, even at the urging of the city's corporate leaders at the cost of transforming the Big Apple into a rotten one. Sir, you're a dumbass. And Jason, you have something to add to this, do you not, my friend? Well, you know what, I'll tell you, I read last week, somebody wrote that it will take New York longer to recover from Bill de Blasio than it did from 9-11. Wow. And that is actually probably true. I just found out this morning, I've talked openly about it. My son, my middle son, he got a wonderful job out of college and he was supposed to move to New York City. And we just found out this morning that now that's not going to happen because 
New York City is completely falling apart. People are, are fleeing for because of the crime, the taxes, things are not reopening. And as a dad, you know, it was his dream, but I told him, I said, I'll be honest with you, I am very, very glad that you're not going to New York. And, uh, you know, I've said it before, the worst American currently in the country by far is Mark Zuckerberg. But... See, the, I would argue that. But, to me, it's Bill de Blasio. <laughs> de Blasio is by far the worst politician. And what pisses me off about everything we say is no matter what, his furlough that he took two weeks ago where he, oh my God, he gave up $5,000 of his salary. Wow. Thank Let you for, do. thank you for your <laughs> fucking generosity. But that week furlough, what did he do? He hid behind the walls of the mayoral mansion protected by the New York state police. Yep. There is no possible way to say fuck you to de Blasio in the way it needs to be said. That guy, I, I hope karma ass fucks him with a cactus just Ooh, like it should. Brutal. And I hope I'm there to watch it when it does. I fucking hate that guy. You know, from a ass fucking with a cactus, we are going to. <laughs> hey, he said we're he's, going, I'm just repeating. We're going, hey, I believe in karma. And karma will do that. It will oh, be a absolutely. cactus. Come karma to the Valley of the that. Sun and sit on a cactus. Uh, we have a, we <laughs> we'll have slather a, you with them here in Phoenix. Come on. Come all on. right, I'm going to change that Thank to you. a. Uh, uh, a much more inspirational story. And you know what? I love this because right now, uh, between Hollywood and the professional athletes, everybody thinks that they got to be on the right side of history and they want to be talked about 50 years like, oh, I took a knee or, or, or I said this or oh, I did this. And you never know from where it comes from, what their history is. And, and I, I, you know, there's some athletes I like, there's some I don't. But uh, it was a beautiful thing. The NFL announced, you know, you're free to do what you want this year. You say whatever you want on your helmets, on your jerseys, and we support Black Lives Matter movement. And they gave them their freedom. And that's fine that Roger Goodell said that. But my inspiration this week was Steelers' Marky Pouncey honored a police officer named Eric Kelly. Eric Kelly, I'm sorry who was killed in the line of duty back in 2009 while responding to a call off duty. I do not know what Pouncey's connection is to Officer Eric Kelly after no 11 years, but for him to go in the face of what every other professional athlete is doing and to honor a fallen police officer is absolutely inspirational to me, and it shows that some professional athletes understand that with their power, uh, their platform, and what they do for us as fans, that they can still be on the right side of good versus evil. And, and I, will, history. I will forever now be a fan of him Thank you. and the Steelers for the rest of the season. Thank you, Marquise Pouncey, for standing up no matter what your peers and your friends said. God bless all of you, and we will see you next week. Batch Boys. Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys.